Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you are at the right podcast. Today, I'll be talking about Season 5, Episode 17, Forever, where Angel returns for Joyce's funeral and Dawn tries to resurrect her mother. Along with the breakdown of the episode, I'll talk about why Forever feels like a one-off episode the first time through, yet moves the season arc in so many ways. Real genuine conflict between Tara and Willow that's subtle, but comes out of their values. And genuine conflict between Buffy and Dawn and Buffy and herself that arises from Buffy's deep-seated fears and difficulties being vulnerable. Finally, how to handle a thematic antagonist like grief by having other characters stand in for that antagonist. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. There will be no spoilers today except at the end to talk about lots of foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Forever aired the first time on April 17, 2001, and it was written and directed by Marty Noxon. Buffy walks through a dimly lit room filled with coffins. A couple taper candles burn. It's a very gothic feel, and she circles a coffin. This is the opening conflict there to draw the viewer or reader into the story, and sometimes it relates directly to the main plot, and sometimes it doesn't. Here it does, and it's a bit of a misdirect because while this feels like a classic Buffy opening, as she opens the lid of the coffin, rather than revealing a vampire, the overhead light snaps on. Buffy's in a funeral home, and Giles, Dawn, and the funeral director join her. Buffy chooses this coffin for her mother. The director says how it speaks to her deep feeling for the deceased, and Giles rolls his eyes. As an aside, I have to say I feel like funeral directors often get unfairly characterized. Maybe that's just my experience, but the one in my parents' town who handled first my niece's funeral and then two and a half years later my parents was a very kind man who really helped us through extremely difficult times. I never felt like he was upselling or pressuring. Anyway, that aside, I do like Giles rolling the eyes. And the director being kind of smarmy adds to that feeling that everything is on Buffy to do the right thing and handle things. Dawn is in pigtails. She looks younger than usual, and she worries that Joyce might have wanted a different coffin. What if she doesn't like that one? And Dawn says, I mean, how do we know for sure? She's the one who has to be in it forever. This is the first time we hear the title of the episode. Buffy says maybe it wasn't a good idea for Dawn to come with. She shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. The director offers to give them a few more minutes, but Buffy says, no, it's done. And then she turns to Dawn and says, okay. 
Dawn nods and Buffy turns and walks out, leaving Dawn standing at the coffin looking sad. I love the way this scene by Buffy's actions and Dawn's actions and their words shows us so much about the dynamic here. Buffy is concerned about Dawn. She wants to protect her and she feels that she's maybe not doing a good job by bringing Dawn along. But at the same time, she cuts her out of the process and ignores her feelings, leaving Dawn feeling worse and more disconnected. Not because Buffy shouldn't have taken her along, but because Buffy almost acts in a uh, not punitive way, but when Dawn is trying to share how she feels by her concerns about the coffin, Buffy just immediately says, well, maybe you shouldn't have come. So it's a message of don't don't tell me how you feel because then you won't even get to be in my physical presence. I don't think that's Buffy's intent, but she is not in touch with how Dawn is feeling, which sets up the rest of the episode so well. At two minutes, nine seconds in, we go to credits and we return. Buffy and Giles are at one end of the long dining room table and Dawn sits at the other. Buffy's friends are there too. They talk about the color of the flowers. Buffy struggles over how to word the announcements because Joyce did not want a lunch after the burial and she didn't want to wake. And Buffy goes on, she said that potlucks are depressing enough as it is. Dawn is surprised and asks when her mother said that. Buffy tells her she and Joyce had a talk before the operation about what she wanted. And this shows us how much Buffy has been shouldering, even if we didn't see any previous episodes. And Dawn says she never said anything to me. Xander tells her, I'm sure she just didn't want to upset you, Dawnster. Buffy tells Dawn she should eat something. And Dawn responds, why should I? You're not. And this scene goes to the commentary by Joss Whedon in The Body, where he said, in his experience, grief tends to pull people apart, unlike what you often see in uh, many stories about people coming together and having these great revelations. And this also, I did feel very close with some members of my family while dealing with my parents' deaths and my niece's death, but there was a certain amount of sadness in not understanding why other people didn't react the same way or in feeling simply like I wasn't myself and that I didn't know how to act or what to do. The phone rings, Giles answers because Buffy says she only wants to talk if it's her dad, but it's not him. And she tells the others he hasn't called. The number he left in Spain is no good and she's left messages everywhere. Buffy tries again to word the announcement, huffs in frustration and drops her head to her hand, overwhelmed. At 5 minutes 21 seconds, Dawn asks what they'll do after the funeral, just come back to the house. Buffy's not sure, and as she continues with other arrangements, Dawn asks Willow, can she go home with Willow after? And Buffy says she guesses it's okay. I see this as the story spark or inciting incident, that event which should come at least by 10% through your story that gets the main plot rolling. And here, Dawn's request to go home with Willow and Tara leads to her learning about resurrection spells. 
As Willow and Xander leave the house, Willow says she's stopping by her mom's next, and she's been doing that a lot lately. Which makes me wonder, are her mom and dad divorced? Because she doesn't say her mom's and dad's, although given that it's Joyce who died, maybe that's who's on her mind. Xander says, yeah, I actually might stop by your mom's too. Well, I'm not going to my place. Those people are scary. Spike approaches holding flowers, and Xander says, speaking of, you have got to be kidding. Xander accuses Spike of trying to score points with Buffy over her mom's death, and he's disgusted. He doesn't believe Spike that it's not about Buffy because they're all hip to Spike's, quote, doomed obsession, unquote. Xander also doesn't buy that Spike cared at all about Joyce, and Spike says, care? Joyce was the only one of the lot of you that that I can stand. And Xander says, and she's the only one with a daughter that you wanted to shag. I'm touched. And Spike goes on, I liked the lady. Understand, monkey boy? She was decent. She didn't put on airs. She always had a cuppa for me, and she never treated me like a freak. And only on this watching did it occur to me that, in a way, this is Joyce's eulogy. We won't hear one for her, but this encapsulates a lot of who Joyce was. She was kind. But Sander says, her mistake. Spike scoffs, says, think what you want, throws the flowers on the ground and stalks off. Xander keeps ranting, but Willow stops him, picks up the flowers and says, Xander, he didn't leave a card. At 7 minutes 30 seconds in, Buffy sits alone on the edge of her bed in the dark and Dawn does the same in her own room. The camera shifts to a tree and then to the funeral scene in the graveyard. Buffy and Dawn stand together on the edge of the open grave. Off screen, a deep voice intones about Almighty God committing Joyce to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which seems fitting for this series as Buffy holds Dawn. Generic funeral phrasing continues, but it does sound calming as the friends hug one another. Buffy stands at the edge of the grave as everyone leaves. Tara tells her she and Willow are taking Dawn. Does Buffy want to come with? They will wait, but Buffy says she's fine. The camera zooms in slowly for a close-up on Buffy's face. As the sky darkens behind her, we cut to her feet and lower legs. We see the freshly dug dirt for the grave. Someone approaches. We're still in that same angle, so we see only black shoes and pants from about the knees down, but we hear Angel's voice. He says, I'm sorry, I couldn't come sooner. He stands next to her and she links her hand with his. We're almost 10 minutes through the episode. The first time through, I struggled a bit with this episode. It felt more like, almost like falling action from the previous episode where Joyce died. It felt like winding things up or showing us the aftermath, which it is showing the aftermath, but it also has its own plot. That plot, though, is mixed with so many things, as I'll talk about in foreshadowing, that move 
the season arc that it feels a little bit like one of those episodes that's just there to connect two parts of the series. And I guess in a way it is, and it shows the challenge of that shift to a largely long form storytelling that watching the first time through in real time, I didn't exactly recognize was happening. At 9 minutes 57 seconds in, Dawn lies on a sleeping bag. Willow and Tara sit on either side of her trying to comfort her. Willow tells her it'll get better. Dawn feels like they're telling her time will pass and she'll forget her mom. Willow says, not forget, no, you. And she looks to Tara for help. Tara says something lovely. You make a place for her in your heart. It's sort of like she becomes a part of you. Does that make sense? Willow nods at Tara and half smiles. But this doesn't make Dawn feel better in the moment. And last episode in the body, I talked a bit about having a hard time with things that some people said to me after my parents' deaths. And I may have said this then too, but to be fair, it is so hard to say anything. There there really is nothing helpful. Uh, there's nothing that makes it better other than that person being there. And simply being with someone in pain without trying to fix it is a really difficult thing to do. Now Tara and Willow tell Dawn they can do whatever she wants, and Dawn knows what she wants to learn magic. Now Willow's excited she can help with this and says they can make a stuffed animal dance. We're moving toward the first major plot turn, which I think of as the one-quarter twist, because often, especially in a novel, that's where it appears. And we're there now at 11 minutes, 20 seconds in, in terms of timing, because Dawn says she wants to do a spell and goes on, I want to bring mom back. And we cut to a commercial. This is definitely a major shift. I'm not sure it fits as the first major plot turn because usually that spins the story in a new direction, but it also comes from outside the protagonist, propelling the protagonist. And here, John is the one making the shift. I think there is a turn that comes from outside Dawn later, but this major shift shows how key it is to have a big turn around 25% through. It also raises another question, which is who is the protagonist in this episode? And that's a bit of what was hard for me in forever the first time or first couple times I watched it is that isn't obvious. I think that it is Dawn because Dawn is the one, at least from here on, who is actively pursuing a goal. Both Buffy and Dawn to this point have been reacting and Buffy mostly will continue to be reacting until the very end when it shifts. The protagonist also should be the main point of view character and that threw me a bit because we start very much in Buffy's point of view. But as the episode goes on, we'll see things from Dawn's point of view. But at this point, a quarter way through, that's not clear because even this last scene with Dawn, Tara, and Willow 
almost seems more from Willow's point of view because we feel for Willow who is struggling with what to say and how to help. Finally, the protagonist should have the most at stake and that's challenging here too because both Buffy and Dawn had so much at stake emotionally. However, Dawn is the one who will risk her life later on and who seems to feel in this episode at least the most alone and at sea though we'll find out Buffy is as well so that's a little bit of the issue with the episode perhaps not feeling as powerful the first time through and looking at it apart from the season five arc it's not terribly clear who the protagonist is or in fact what the story is After the commercial break, Anya and Xander finish making love and both comment on how intense it was. Anya says it's because of Joyce, which confuses Xander. Anya says, well, she got me thinking about how people die all the time and how they get born, too. And you kind of need one so you can have the other. When I think about it that way, it makes death a little less sad and sex a little more exciting. Xander's still a bit lost, and Anya goes on that she understands sex more now. It's not just about two bodies smooshing together. Quote, it's about life. It's about making life. End quote. And Xander says, right. When two people are much older and way richer and far less stupid. Anya tells him to breathe. She's not ready to make life with him yet, but they could. And it makes her feel like part of something bigger, like she's more awake somehow. Anya's been getting a lot of these deep themes to talk about and wisdom to share lately. And that makes sense because she still is something of an outsider. She spent a thousand years or more outside of the normal human life and death cycle, and it gives her this perspective. Her line about making life is also a good segue to the next scene where Dawn tells Willow and Tara she wants to bring Joyce back at 11 minutes 30 seconds in. Tara tells Dawn it's not possible. You can't use magic to alter the natural order of things. Dawn argues that they alter things all the time. Tara responds that you don't mess with life and death. Willow then says she's not sure it's possible. She's seen things on resurrection spells in books, but she guesses the spells backfire. This is great foreshadowing for later in the episode when Willow will point on toward a book that talks about resurrection and also that the spell Dawn does at the end that there are real concerns about it going wrong. This scene also creates a subtle conflict between Tara and Willow. It is a minor conflict for now, but it shows a values difference, which is the strongest kind of character conflict to have because our values drive so much of what we do and who we are, and that is not easy to resolve. Willow focuses throughout on it could be a 
dangerous spell, but Tara is concerned with the bigger implications of it and feels strongly that it is not right to mess with life and death, as she says, where Willow seems to not necessarily be convinced of that, though she doesn't outright say it. And now, after Willow has said she guesses the spells go wrong, Tara says that's not the point. And Willow echoes her and says, that's not the point. The point is, it's bad because, and clearly she is struggling for why it's bad. Tara jumps in and tells John, you can't alter the fabric of life for selfish reasons. Wiccans took an oath not to, which makes Dawn think it is possible or they wouldn't have taken an oath. But Tara says maybe they could, but Tara and Willow can't. Willow follows up that it's too dangerous. Dawn's angry that Willow and Tara won't help her and curls on her side on the sleeping bag, turning away from them. There is so much character growth in Forever that it seemed appropriate to have the book Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out sponsor this episode. No matter what type of fiction you write, what draws readers in is the characters. If your reader doesn't care about your characters, the most gripping plot won't be gripping. But diagrams and checklists can only take you so far. It helps to know your characters and love them or love to hate them the same way you do with real people and yourself, which means learning about your characters from the inside. Creating compelling characters helps you explore your characters so that you can understand their hopes, fears, and motivations, learn what values drive them to do what they do, and create living, breathing characters, not cardboard cutouts. Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out is available in a workbook edition and in multiple ebook formats. It includes questions and prompts to help you and draws on specific examples from popular books and classics, including Gone Girl, The Dead Zone, which is my favorite Stephen King novel, and Pride and Prejudice. Ask for Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out by L.M. Lilly at your local library or bookstore, or you can find links to all my books for writers at writingasasecondcareer.com or under the nonfiction menu item at lisalilly.com. You can also buy the book in either format at numerous online bookstores. I see that comment about the oath as that major plot turn that comes outside of Dawn. It comes from Tara, who inadvertently reveals that there probably is a way to bring someone back because Dawn is right. You don't have to take an oath not to do something that it's not possible to do. And this sends Dawn in a new direction. And it raises the stakes because she is going to try something very dangerous because of it. At 14 minutes, 45 seconds in, we cut to Buffy and Angel. They sit together, their backs against 
a tree trunk and she tells him how hard the funeral was, but it's tomorrow she's worried about. Angel asks what tomorrow is and Buffy says, that's exactly what I don't know. Up until now, I've had a road map, things to do every minute having to do with mom. And Buffy tells him she doesn't know how to go back to normal life. She doesn't just need more time. She can kill vampires all day long, but Joyce was the strong one in her life. Joyce knew how to make things better and what to say. Angel tells her she'll find her way, but Buffy doesn't know. She keeps thinking about when she found her mother and if she had just gotten there 10 minutes earlier. And Angel says, you said they told you it wouldn't have made a difference. And Buffy says, they said probably it wouldn't have made a difference. The exact thing they said was probably. I haven't told that to anyone. This is such a universal feeling that there was something you could have done and that feeling of guilt. And for Buffy, it has to be so strong because what Buffy does is save people, get there in time, and there is no way to know if it would have made a difference, though I think the show has been pretty clear that it would not. Angel tells her that doesn't make it her fault. Buffy confides that she didn't start CPR until... The operator told her to, quote, that's how good I am at being a grown-up, end quote. And it's not just herself she has to worry about, it's Dawn. And this comment about being a grown-up is, I think, here what's at the heart of Buffy's feelings. She has to deal with her own grief, but she also feels she has to step into that role and be the parent, which is emphasized more by the fact that her her dad is MIA. There isn't anyone else. Angel tells her she doesn't feel like it, but she is strong and she doesn't have to do it alone. He tells her he'll stay as long as she wants. And we get another reference to the title because Buffy says, how's forever? Does forever work for you? But then Buffy says, it's a bad idea. She's seriously needy right now. Angel tells her to let him worry about that. He can handle it. At 17 minutes, 45 seconds in, they kiss, their theme music plays, which always makes me cry, and the kiss becomes more passionate. Angel pulls away, breathing hard, and Buffy says, I told you, you better go. Angel takes a deep breath and says, I'm sorry. And Buffy responds, no, I'm so grateful that you came, Angel. I didn't think I was going to be able to make it through the night. He looks around and says he still has a few more minutes, and she rests her head on his shoulder. This, too, strikes me as so very real. First, the part about Buffy saying she's doing things that have to do with her mom. And there was so much to take care of when my parents died. And in a way, I recognized probably later that my hyper focus on it and my anxiety on it also was a way to hang on to them. Because when those things were done, they were not part of my everyday life anymore. At 19 minutes, three seconds in, Ben approaches the hospital and the minion Jinx tells him Glory wants to encourage his relationship with the Slayer so that he might learn about the key. And Ben says, and why would I share that with the most unstable one? 
Jing says, because time is running short, when Ben fights Glory, he fights himself. So this is another hint, and we got one in an earlier episode, that there is some time limit on Glory finding and using the key. And Ben says, quote, let the best me win, end quote. But then he goes on, I won't help her find the key. I would never do that to an innocent. And Jinx says, an innocent, the key. That's an interesting choice of words. Ben tries to backpedal, insists he didn't mean it was human. He's upset. And every denial makes it clear that the key is human. So there's lots of communication in this episode by inference and by what people deny. Tara talking about the oath after saying it's not possible to do it. Ben talking about an innocent. And the more he denies it, the more we know it's true. And this is a very strong way to write dialogue when we want the reader to be clear about the character telling the truth inadvertently. And that's why we believe it, because the person didn't mean to say this thing. At the same time, on first viewing, this scene with Ben and the minion felt very wedged in, and it added to my feeling that this episode didn't have focus. It's an important scene, as is the next one, but it is in no way a subplot for the episode. It is just a continuing season arc, which we need, and it's part of what lets us as viewers know that, hey, the season five arc is continuing, but it felt odd because the rest of the episode, the non-glory, non-Ben part on first watch feels like you might be able to lift it out of the season and it would make no difference at all, leaving the episode feeling like a odd hybrid of a one-off episode and a continuing season arc episode. Ben stabs Jinx and leaves him to die, but he stabs him in the stomach, not the heart, and he doesn't stick around to make sure Jinx is dead, which I found frustrating as a viewer. At 20 minutes, 27 seconds in, Willow urges Dawn to have breakfast with them, but Dawn says Giles is picking her up later whenever she wants. This is the middle of the episode, and usually here we see the protagonist make a major commitment, throw caution to the wind, or suffer a major reversal or both. I don't know that we have either here. At 21 minutes, 19 seconds in, on her way out the door, Willow tells Dawn she can hang out in the room as long as she wants. Willow will stop back at lunch in case Dawn's still there. And then Willow gestures and a heavy old hardback book slides an inch forward on the shelf. After Willow leaves, Dawn opens it and finds a chapter on resurrection. This seems in character for Willow. Remember, at the hospital, Willow gave Dawn a book on the history of witchcraft craft and Buffy worried about it but Willow assured her there were no spells so she seems to be doing the same thing here but Dawn finds that section on resurrection I don't see that as a commitment by Dawn it's more of a reaction you could see it as a major reversal for her because this will set her on a dangerous path but it doesn't feel as strong as most midpoints do And 
it lacks a bit of power because that book was on the shelf and Dawn left alone might very well have rifled through the bookshelves looking for something just like this. At 22 minutes, 10 seconds in, Dawn is hanging out at the magic box for the day. Anya is not thrilled when Dawn wants to help out. She suggests Dawn play with some very amusing chicken feet instead, and also points out that Dawn is unpaid child labor. Giles reminds her that they need to help Dawn and suggests she show Dawn the cash register. Anya gathers herself and says, but of course it's wonderful that you find doing my job distracting. I am unthreatened. Proceed. And I love the way Anya tells the truth and processes aloud and gets to the point where she at least is able to say she feels unthreatened. Dawn now asks Giles if there's anything she should stay away from that's dangerous, and he tells her all that stuff is in the loft. Very helpful of him. At about 24 minutes in, the first chance she gets, Dawn climbs into the loft and goes through the books. She takes a couple old volumes and hides them in her backpack, then scurries down the ladder again and goes back to helping out. And I like Dawn on when she's capable and focused, even if what she's doing is a bad idea. At 25 minutes, seven seconds in, we get that major commitment from Dawn. She kneels at the grave at night and pours a mix of ingredients from a jar onto the dirt, then starts the spell. This is definitely throwing caution to the wind. This is part of what convinces me. This is Dawn's story or that her story is the main plot but it's also what makes the episode feel a little uneven because this is coming late in the episode for that major commitment spike joins dawn at the edge of the grave a mirror of angel joining buffy and spike says i hope it's just dirt you're after spell calls for anything more than that you're in zombie territory he continues that the book is infamous dawn begs him not to tell buffy she just wants her mom back and he says i'm not gonna tell a little bit i'm gonna help at 26 minutes five seconds in giles sits alone drinks whiskey and listens to the song that he and Joyce listened to in Band Candy, Tales of Brave Ulysses by Cream. This is such a subtle moment. I have talked to uh, other huge Buffy fans who never noticed that it was the same song. And it too makes me cry because you can see Giles' grief in just this short moment. We cut back to Spike and Dawn. They walk in the rain and he tells her the bloke they're going to see knows all about resurrection spells. Dawn tells him he doesn't need to be nice to her. She's not stupid. She knows he's doing it only because he's so into Buffy. But Spike gets angry and tells her never tell Buffy. Buffy would drive a redwood through his heart if she knew. And Dawn asks then why help? And Spike responds, I just don't like to see Summer's women take it so hard on the chin is all. And he threatens her, very serious, if she tells Buffy. This goes back to my conversation with one of the patrons, Steve, about Spike, because in some ways we're told by the show that Spike is only acting to win points 
with Buffy and therefore he hasn't truly changed. Yet this episode to me shows that he is changing. There really is no other reason to do this. This will not win points with Buffy. At 27 minutes, 20 seconds in, Glory in her palatial home is stressing over the fact that Jinx has not returned, but he stumbles in all bloody and almost dead. Glory's so distraught Ben did this that she starts pulling out her own hair, though she does first tell Jinx to mind the rug and not bleed on it. She calms down when Jinx tells her Ben spoke of the key and that Jinx believes it's human, and he calls her various names throughout, including your new and improvedness. Glory hugs him ecstatic and then says, I'm even going to let you slide on the lame toadying on account of your dying and stuff. She says this narrows the search and tells the others to get Jinx fixed. She wants to hear the whole story again without all the annoying moaning. At 28 minutes 50 seconds in, Dawn and Spike enter a dim apartment. There's a cat running across a table that is full of old books. The furniture likewise is antique or very old and Dawn says it smells like grandpa. An old man in a flannel bathrobe emerges from a back room. He thinks he knows Spike. He's that guy at the corner mart and he marvels when Spike says no because Spike looks just like the guy except his hair is a different color and quote you're a vampire but other than that end quote. Spike tells him Dawn lost her mom. They came to see what could be done about it. The man tries to give Dawn a potion to ease the grief instead, but Dawn doesn't want that. And at 30 minutes, two seconds in, he asks if either have done spells of this magnitude before. Dawn admits they haven't, and she yelps as he pulls a strand of her hair without asking. He studies it, says... She's a good candidate. She has strong DNA. Dawn's eyes widen when she sees a tail poking out from under his robe as he hunts through his bookshelves. We are now approaching the three-quarter turn, the last major plot turn, and here it is right about three-quarters through forever. It grows from the midpoint, as it should, because Dawn now gets what she set out to get, a resurrection spell that actually will work and this takes the story in yet another new direction at 31 minutes 27 seconds in the man finds the spell and tells her she also needs an egg from agora demon they're local they like to stick close to the hellmouth this is a nice explanation for why one part of this is so easy otherwise it would feel like too much of a coincidence that the very demon that she needs just happens to be in Sunnydale. So if you have something where there is an element of a quest that feels like it's going to seem like coincidence or too easy, it's good to throw in a very short explanation that fits your story of why that is. And here it's the Hellmouth, which is the handy answer for so many things in Buffy, but that's why it was such a great premise to situate the whole town on a Hellmouth. And the next part isn't easy because he tells her you can't buy a Gora egg, you have to steal it. She'll also need a photo of her mother, and she's to put it in the center of a sacred circle and say the incantation three times. He tells her it'll take a while for her mom to come to her. A nice way to give her and Buffy some time to interact 
later. And if anything goes wrong, Dawn should tear up the photo to reverse the spell. And he continues, it's a tricky spell, girl. I can't say for sure your mother will come back exactly like she was. Sometimes these things get a little off. But she'll still be my mother, won't she? Dawn asks. And the man says, more or less. And Dawn says, good, good. She tries to give him money. He smiles as he refuses and wishes her well as they shake hands. But when he tells her to let him know how it goes, this low growl comes out of him and his eyes turn black and Dawn pulls away. At 33 minutes, 57 seconds in, Dawn insists on going into the cave with Spike. She'll steal the egg while he distracts the demon. He argues there's no way she should be going there. She ignores him and heads in first, and Spike says, well, what do you know, a bitty Buffy. Inside the cave, Spike yells heads up at the demon to make it move out of the way of the eggs, and he's shocked when three heads rear. He fights all of them. Dawn steals an egg, yells to Spike that she's got it because he seems to be having so much fun fighting that he doesn't notice. They run out, but Dawn trips and falls, and the egg breaks. He tells her, Forget it, they can't get past the Gora again, but Don runs back anyway. Spike lost his weapon, so now he's fighting with his fist. The demon grabs him with his tail and almost kills him, but Don gets another egg. On the way out, she apologizes, and Spike says, Did you get it? Don't be sorry then. And this is nice because Spike, so reckless himself, doesn't get angry at someone else who is also reckless, and it shows how much he cares about Dawn. This scene, though, is another reason the episode forever feels a bit off to me, because the scene feels like a climax. The big fight, Dawn gets the egg. Of course, with the setup, it can't be the climax, because we need to know if she gets Joyce back, but it is that big action scene that, at least in earlier seasons of Buffy often was what happened at the climax. At 36 minutes, 27 seconds in, Dawn does a spell to Osiris. She has candles lit, there's a circle of blood, and a close-up on the photo of Joyce leaning against an urn. This intercuts with the cemetery at night, and we cut to a commercial. If you are enjoying the way I look at story and want to apply this story structure to your own fiction, you can find a link to get free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets. When we come back, Willow lies on her stomach on a double bed, writing in a journal about breakfast. Tara comments on the journal being new, and Willow says she wants to remember and record every single thing they do together. Life goes too fast. It's a very nice moment that is then marred when Tara notices the book History of Witchcraft is gone and says that's very bad. Willow asks why. It's just a history. But Tara tells her it references resurrection. A nice way to show that despite Willow's power growing so fast, she's the one who did that teleportation spell to get rid of Glory. Tara knows much more about what is in the books. 
Tara says, Dawn must have taken it. And Willow, kind of stumbling over her words, says, no, she didn't. Did she? And Willow again says, it's just a history book. And it might answer some of Dawn's questions. She can't do anything bad with it. But Tara points out that it refers to resurrection spells and potions. And now Willow inadvertently reveals that she had a role in this, though Tara doesn't pick up on it because she's so worried about Dawn. Willow says, but I I didn't, I mean, hey, how'd she know that? So more examples of signaling something you don't want to share, but that is so strong in your heart and mind that you can't help yourself. Tara worries about what else Dawn took, and Willow awkwardly says nothing. She thinks nothing. Tara says they can't waste time, and they both agree they have to call Buffy now. At 38 minutes, 58 seconds in, the phone rings as Buffy enters the darkened house. She answers, and we cut to upstairs where Dawn is finishing the spell. Outside, there's thunder and lightning. Buffy joins Dawn and says, Dawn, what have you done? What have you done? Dawn responds, she's coming. She's coming home. So now we are at the climax where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. If Dawn is our protagonist, is Buffy the antagonist? And at first, when doing my outline for today's podcast, I was thinking, yes, because the antagonist has one job to push against the protagonist. And Buffy does push against Dawn in forever, sometimes by not doing anything when Dawn needs her. She pushes Dawn through the rituals of death. She ignores Dawn's feelings. She's literally not there after the funeral. All of this is another very strong type of conflict. It arises like the values conflict out of character. Buffy is not trying to be mean to Dawn. She's not trying to be insensitive. And she's also not unaware of how hard this is for Dawn. She wants to shield her and protect her. But she's lost in her own grief. And that desire to protect Dawn also triggers all these fears about her own inadequacy that get in the way of her being there for Dawn. Dawn can't see any of this. She just knows she's alone and her big sister is not there for her and will find out worse than that. She thinks Buffy doesn't want her around. And the Whedonverse is so good at this type of conflict. You rarely see characters just being nasty to each other solely to be nasty. They act out of their own goals, their own aims, their own fears. And I enjoy that so much more than when you read a book or watch a movie and there's characters who are just abrasive to be abrasive. But while Buffy pushes against Dawn, on thinking about it more, I see grief as the antagonist here. This is a figurative or thematic type of villain and that is very tricky to do well. If you are going to do that, you need characters to stand in for and act for that type of villain. So here, grief takes the form of Buffy, all the ways she's not there for Dawn, all the things she says that further upset Dawn. Then there is Tara 
and Willow, and they together stand between Dawn as she sees it and what she wants. She wants to bring her mother back. They are telling her all the reasons why she can't. Tara more so than Willow, but Willow also, they're, they're trying to comfort her and in that sense are pushing against her. And then there is the old man who, while he helps, Dawn puts barriers in her way. The Gora demon is another force between Dawn and what she wants. And now again, it is Buffy trying to convince Dawn that this is a terrible idea. So all these characters stand in place of grief and loss, which is what is pushing against Dawn. At 39 minutes, 29 seconds in, Buffy takes the photo and runs downstairs after Dawn, who has gone down to look for her mother. Buffy tells Dawn she has no idea what will come through that door. People come back wrong, and Dawn says, it'll be mom. He said her DNA. And Buffy demands to know who helped Dawn and demands Dawn reverse the spell. So she never gets an answer on who helped. Dawn says, but I need her. I don't care. She, and we see the bottom half of a woman walking through the grass in a long dress and she moves like Joyce. Dawn tells Buffy she's not like Buffy. She doesn't have anyone. Buffy says, what is she talking about? She's there for Dawn, but Dawn protests that Buffy doesn't even look at her. It's so obvious she doesn't want Dawn around. And then she accuses Buffy of not caring about Joyce dying. So this is that grief tearing people apart because people grieve differently. Buffy can't believe Dawn thinks that, but Dawn says that Buffy didn't cry and she says you've just been running around like it's some big chore or something cleaning up after mom's mess buffy slaps dawn not with slayer strength but it is still a horrible thing to do buffy covers her mouth and starts crying and says dawn i've been working i've been busy because i have to and dawn says no you've been avoiding me and buffy says i'm not i have to do these things because because when i stop then she's really gone buffy goes on that she's trying to take care of things but she doesn't even know what she's doing and mom always knew dawn tells her no one's asking her to be mom but buffy both tearful and angry says well who will do it if she doesn't who will make things better and goes on who's gonna take care of us and it's easy to forget that Buffy is very young too. She's only, I think, 20 at this point. Maybe she turned 21. I don't remember. But that is so young to need to take care of everything, to have a younger sibling, to take care of when you are dealing with your own loss and feeling that you need to care for your sister and also protect the entire world, especially when Buffy is essentially without another parent. Her dad is not there at all. He's not helping. He didn't even call. And even if Buffy were older, it is still that feeling of loss of parents for most people. When they are both gone, no matter what age you are, you do feel like an orphan. Buffy tells Dawn she didn't mean to push her away. She couldn't let Dawn see her. She doesn't finish all her thoughts, but finally says she doesn't know what to do. She's scared. Dawn cries too as a shadow of Joyce passes the windows. Dawn says, Buffy, 
But then there's a knock on the door at 42 minutes, 25 seconds in, and Buffy is the one who is so affected by it. She has now confessed her fear, how much she needs her mom, and she's the one who says, Mommy, and runs for the door. And Dawn, watching, tears up the photograph just an instant before Buffy opens the door and there is only wind outside. This is a fantastic climax. It's all emotional. If grief is the antagonist, in a way, Dawn wins. She doesn't stop grieving. She doesn't stop feeling the loss, but she overcomes the grief that drove her to risk, bringing back a terrible version of Joyce, perhaps torturing Joyce by doing it. And Dawn finally connects with Buffy. And now Dawn can recognize that the answer is not to bring back this version of Joyce. At 42 minutes, 45 seconds in, Buffy and Dawn look at each other and Buffy says, Dawn. Dawn runs to her. They hug. They sink to the floor together crying and comforting each other. So that was the falling action, that very short moment after Buffy opens the door. Buffy had a tremendous amount of growth here, in some ways more than Dawn. Dawn did go on a journey of dealing with her grief, but Buffy has struggled so much through this season to show her emotions. Part of the issue with Riley was that Buffy cried alone. She could not share that vulnerability with Riley. And here she shows not just her uh, grief, but her fears about being inadequate and about not being able to handle things without her mom. And first she shares them with Angel. And in a lot of ways, that is the safest person to share with. He loves her and he's going away. He is not staying. It is safer to share that with him. But to share it with Dawn, who is looking to Buffy for help, is a huge thing for Buffy. So Buffy has a lot of growth here, but not a whole lot of screen time. And that's part of why I see her as having the subplot and Dawn as having the main plot. I think it is a Buffy versus herself subplot where she is able to own those feelings and be that vulnerable. And in that sense, she wins because she is honest and open and she connects with Dawn, which brings her some relief and some comfort. So that is it for the episode. Other than foreshadowing, there is a lot there. If you're not staying for foreshadowing, though, because you don't want spoilers, thank you so much for listening and come back in two weeks for season five, episode 18, Intervention, where Buffy goes on a quest and her friends can't tell her apart from a robot. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. So part of the challenge with this episode, as I noted, is it feels like a one-off in terms of the main plot. When you finish watching Forever, you could easily think, okay, Dawn and Buffy reconnected, and now we're going back to the season five plot. But in fact, this is so pivotal for so much of the rest of the season. It 
tells us where Buffy is emotionally and despite that she does connect with John more or maybe because she does that contributes to her feeling so overwhelmed and so distraught when Glory takes Dawn and she doesn't stop it that she goes catatonic and we have that whole episode the weight of the world But even before that is the next episode where Buffy goes on that quest. The spirit of the first slayer tells her that death is her gift. And Buffy is so puzzled by that. It adds to her feelings that all she is as the slayer is a killer, a killer of demons, perhaps, but a killer, someone who has to be strong and invulnerable and handle everything. And then we get to the gift where Buffy makes that sacrifice. So this episode, which felt so much to me on first watching, like wrapping up the grief from Joyce's death, is actually moving this season arc And without it, I don't think those later episodes would work or would have the resonance that they do. The refrain that Joyce could come back as a zombie or come back wrong foreshadows season six, where Buffy struggles so much when she's brought back. She is not herself. She's not wrong in the way they're talking about in this episode, but it is extremely difficult for her. And then even in season seven, there are more repercussions where we find out bringing Buffy back through the entire balance of good and evil off and allows the first evil to become active and try to take over. Also, this foreshadows when Spike tells Xander at the beginning of season six that Buffy could have come back wrong and Willow knew it. And Spike is a mess over that. And this weaves that in so we as the audience believe Spike. That moment when Ben stabs Jinx but doesn't make sure he's dead, until I did the breakdown for today's podcast, I felt this was a bit of lazy writing or I was I was disappointed. I shouldn't say lazy writing, but as a viewer, I thought, oh, really, why doesn't anyone ever make sure someone's dead? But now I think this is foreshadowing Ben's mixed feelings because Jinx just said, when you fight Glory, you're fighting yourself. And Ben wants to see himself as someone who would not betray Dawn, who would protect and innocent, yet he both lets it slip that Dawn is human or the key is human, and he leaves Jinx alive, which suggests to me that Ben has mixed feelings, and we will find out later that, yeah, he he does. He wants to survive, which is understandable and very human, but he is willing to do it even if it means Dawn dies and the entire world that he's lived in to this point is thrown into chaos. So this very nicely sets that up. Lots of Xander season six foreshadowing when he says, I might stop by your mom's too to Willow that he's not going to his place because those people are scary. And in Hell's Bells, the wedding episode, we'll see his family and how scary they are to Xander. His fears about marriage and family and children are foreshadowed by that and by his comment to Anya about, you know, when two people are much older and richer and less stupid, 
And she understands he's not ready to do these things yet. But nonetheless, he's going to propose at the end of this season and then spend so much of season six not letting her tell anyone and then leave her at the altar. And all of that is foreshadowed here. Of course, the old man who seems so kind and genuinely appears to care about this girl. He doesn't know who is suffering this loss. Nonetheless, there are signs that he is not just kind and caring. He pulls out Dawn's hair without warning her. And then there's that moment when his eyes turn black. There's that growl and Dawn is very uneasy. And I love this so much because I never expected that he would turn out to genuinely be evil. He seemed like someone who, okay, he knows about these kind of spells. So he probably is dangerous in some ways, but in no way do you think he's going to be a danger to Dawn. Yet he is the one who sets off the ritual that will kill Dawn and end the world as we know it. He also shows a theme about Dawn that I hadn't thought about before, which is people who seem to be on her side and who then betray her, like Ben. The old man here seems to be on her side, and yet for the worship of a hell god, will kill her. Tara and Willow, Tara says you can't use magic to alter the natural order of things, but her other words suggest that you can, and it's more that you shouldn't. She says you don't mess with life and death, and this foreshadows how dangerous Willow's spell in season six is to bring Buffy back. And note that Dawn's spell is to Osiris, and that is who Willow calls on to bring back Buffy, and later she calls on Osiris to try to bring back Tara, but is denied. When Willow tries to comfort Dawn and is saying, no, you don't forget your mom, you, and then she's got nothing else and she looks to Tara for help. This foreshadows that fight that Tara and Willow will have right before Glory attacks Tara, which is partly over, as I mentioned last time, Willow feeling like Tara is the expert. And here, too, she is looking to Tara for help on what to say. Also, there is plenty of foreshadowing here showing Willow not getting what Tara is saying about why you don't alter the fabric of life and foreshadows Willow being willing to do that, much more willing to do it than Tara, and being far less concerned about the consequences. And of course, Willow journaling about all the wonderful things with Tara is a typical Whedonverse moment where when characters are happy, we know something terrible will happen. And this is building up how much Willow loves Tara, how important Tara is to her, so that when Tara loses um, her brain energy and gets lost, how devastating that is for both of them. And it foreshadows what happens to Willow, how she feels when Tara is killed in season six. And finally, those two shots 
one of Buffy sitting alone in her room in the dark and Dawn sitting alone in her room in the dark foreshadow how Dawn will feel so alone and isolated in season six and Buffy will as well. So this growth Buffy has had, this revelation does not survive her dying and being brought back. So that foreshadows so much of season six. On that very happy note, uh, I will close off for today. Thank you again for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. It really helps me keep going, especially in these very emotional episodes to know that you value the podcast. Come back in two weeks for season five, episode 18, Intervention, where Buffy tries to find meaning, Glory grills Spike about the key, and the Scoobies meet the Buffy bot. If you want to hear more Buffy and the Art of Story content and would like to support the podcast at the same time, you can do so at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily, that's L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, or at buymeacoffee.com slash Lisa M. Lily. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalily.com slash Buffy Story or lisalily.com slash YouTube. Comment on the episodes or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lily or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page or email your comments to buffystorypod at gmail.com. Find book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalily.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.